Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Welcome to Delusional Optimism. I am Seth Creekmore. I'm here with Dr. B and Mike Vini. Mike, how's it going? Good. Thank you for having me and hello to you and your listeners out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Awesome. And uh, I, I I see a Van Gogh in the back. Is that... Or, or something, I, something. Yeah. That's Van the painting. It might be. Or it looks knockoff or something like that. <laughs> probably, yeah. Probably <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, <laughs> so, where are you located? Um, I live in New York City. I have actually two homes. I live in New York City, and I live north of New York City in Orange okay. County, New York, in the mountains. Oh. And, uh, it was my oh, pandemic nice. purchase. We all had lots of those, right? Some yeah. of us had Amazon boxes. Yeah. Some of us mm-hmm. decided to try to buy a home. You know, whatever. That's amazing. And uh, what what keeps you um, keeps you going from day to day? Whoa, that's like the toughest question I've ever been asked. <laughs> what keeps me going? You know, I, I have a strong sense of purpose in my life. Mm. I'm very mission driven, and you know, a lot of times you bring up that term mission and mission statement, like, oh, you know. I want yeah. something that sounds cute and all that mm, stuff. I don't care about any of that. My mission statement pisses me off. It pisses mm. me off. It makes me angry because it's all about you know rece- supporting people and receiving the gift of emotional wellness. And for most of my life, you know, just to even think of emotional wellness irritates me because of all I've been through with my mental health. So that's what actually drives me. I just get really angry, and it drives me to help that's others. Great. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Very cool. And uh, yeah. you, so emotional wellness, tell me what is, what's the story on that? How did you get involved in I don't know, your emotions? That's such a weird question. Uh, <laughs> what, what, uh, what made you interested in emotional wellness? That's a better question. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I was forced into all this. Mm. Like the only person is like not interested in it at all. Like, but sometimes life just puts you in a, situation or gives you circumstances and you know you realize that maybe you're the person for the job and so um you know i was it was a a breakdown i've been battling mental health challenges my whole life that's all i know is mental health challenges and just to give you just a brief rundown of my story it started in in school when i was a kid in fourth grade and we knew there was a problem when i got expelled in the fourth grade for punching my teacher and Mm -hmm. um you know i had a problem with authority but it was worse than just like I didn't listen. It was like, oh, no, I'm going to fight you if you come up in my face. Mm. And so um, I had no problem throwing a desk. You know, it's just like, get out of my face, Mm. you know, kind of thing. Really fine child. And um, so I was expelled from three schools. And starting in fourth grade, I was put in three mental hospitals for extended periods. I died by suicide Mm. at age 10. So Mm. I know what it's like to be a, you know, it's worse with mental health. And Mm. fast forward to um, 2011, 
I was having another mental health breakdown. I'm used to those at this point. They happen. You know, when I travel, I just figure out where the local mental hospital is just in case. It's totally like normal checklist item. But the thing is, um, you know, I was, I always like to say I was that person on the streets. I was screaming and yelling and police kept coming over to check on me because I would disappear for days. And I was just in a delusional place. And I called up someone I knew who worked in mental health. And I said, oh, I think I need help. So I said, hey, Cheryl, this is Mike Vini. You might not remember me. And, 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 and she said, Mike, what's up? How are you? And I said, it's not that kind of conversation. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Mm. And she just kept going with the, oh, so nice to hear your voice. We need to hang out. And I'm like, this is why people die by suicide. But at the mm. end of the call, she um, asked me if I could be a mental health speaker at her conference. I said, no, I don't want to speak to those people. And I actually yeah. said that, right? And the next day she did what I call adult bullying. And that's when you email somebody and CC a bunch of other people. And and she basically <laughs> did that to me and hired me to be a speaker. And I said, oh my gosh, what am I stepping into? So I get on stage, I go to speak. I'm like reading a sheet of paper, crying for the first time in my adult life. And honestly, mm-hmm. within a year, I was speaking nationally about mental health. I had to have a talk with myself about it and wow. say, okay, you don't want to do this. Like I, I'm a drummer. That's my, that's my trip. I, my dream was, and still is to play in the bars with drunk people. Like I had no problem telling my parents that they're like, not even in a big arena. No, the yeah. bars with drunk people. And the <laughs> thing is, you know, this idea behind speaking was just like, no, I don't like motivational speakers, but you know, my schedule is now packed and I'm getting to help the world every day, uh, doing presentations for major companies. Microsoft hired me four times this year to come yeah. in and speak. And so, you know, sometimes you got to show up and just do what you got to do. What do you think has really prepared you to be that speaker, to be adept at that, at communicating? You know, I, I didn't think I was, I, first of all, let me be honest. I don't like motivational speakers. I think they're cheesy and fake. Like I grew up around like the, you know, Tony Robbins at <laughs> night and somebody's like, Oh, do you want to see this motivational speaker? I'm like, no, no, I don't know. You know, so I don't, I don't do that, but I think, okay. A lot of times in life, people talk about finding what's your thing, right? Right. And I actually, I'm going to say something really controversial right now. Oh, we love I that. Think, I think one of the reasons people struggle to find their thing is because they're chasing passion. That's the problem. The problem is everyone's saying, oh my God, chase your passions. But what they're really saying and what people are hearing is pleasure. Mm -hmm. I want to do things that are pleasurable. If it's not pleasurable, well, I don't want to do it. And we talk about generational stuff. Well, that's a whole conversation right there. What I have learned, and if you look at history of successful people, rather than focusing on passion, focus on your gifts. What are you naturally good at? So for example, if you're doing um, handstands, you can do better handstands than anyone and like walk down the street and stuff. Even if you don't like doing it, someone starts paying you thousands of dollars to do it. You're going to start to like it pretty quickly. And so the thing is for me, um, I didn't like speaking but in public speaking in college, well, I actually did my first speech in college. I bashed the teacher. I basically mm. said why his class was a complete waste of time and money and how I wanted a refund. And he said, well, wow. I need to see you after class. And everyone's like, ooh, you in trouble, Mike? And um, he pulls me out in the hallway. He's like, you need to be a motivational speaker. And I'm like, nope, I want to play drums for people in the bar. And so, so the thing is, I realized that whether I like it or not, speaking was a gift. And maybe also my own mental health challenges were a gift, but I wasn't seeing it that way. And so I put that together and that's ultimately what prepared me for it. I am just on fire in my brain listening to your story and I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so many things that you said in this just short little narrative of your life is are, are, are such just important points about 
how we handle mental health in the world. And I love it. So, you know, we've got a little, you're the little in fourth grade and you punch your teacher and we're hung up on the mental hospital. Let's be hung up on you. Let's be hung up on the 10-year-old because we can still hold you as a person and say, okay, this didn't come from just one person. Like, what what's going on in the first circle? What's going on in the second circle? What's going on in the third circle? This baby, and I call a 10-year-old a baby because you're a little kid at 10, even if you throw desks and you punch people. And mm-hmm. why is he so mad? Well, and I and I think this is, I just had this conversation this week about, you know, mad is just the activated, intense version of what you did on stage. Sad. Something made, something was breaking your heart and made you so sad. But in order to, especially, I'll just say it, as a young African-American boy, to be sad would be risky. So to act, to be mad would be so much more appropriate but the grown-ups have to see it. The grown-ups have to see it. <laughs> and I want to say, being a drummer, Seth is also a musician, but I think that drumming out ain't, like, what a great activator and distributor of energy and anger as a way of dealing with, with mental health. And I think, I, I want to say, spot on about passion is so cliché, but purpose is purpose is so important to resilience. And man, when you said die by suicide at 10, tell me that again. Cause yeah, I always, uh, and that's when I actually started playing drums in fifth grade. And, and I always will never forget the feeling of holding drumsticks for the first time. Best feeling in the world just hitting a snare drum. Oh my gosh. Like I still, you know, think about it to this day. And, um, you know, that was, you know, I didn't know drumming was going to become my career initially, mm-hmm. but, um, in fifth grade, you know, the, the pain just kept building up. And a lot of times I remind people when it comes to mental health, one of the reasons for the whole stigma is very simple. It's confusing and complex. We as humans don't like confusing and complex. Let's take the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic, which we're still in. Yes. <laughs> one of the challenges with 2020 and all this stuff that was happening around us was that it was confusing, complex, and frustrating. We don't like that. Mm-mm. Stresses us out. doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on for anything. It just stresses us out. So the thing that I have to remind people is that realizing that when you're a kid, even understanding that is just out of your reality. You know, you feel an emotion. You are the emotion when you're a kid. Exactly. So I was just sad. And, and my depression gets so intense, it becomes physical pain every day now, still does. And I just wanted the pain to go away. And a lot of times when someone acts out, they're looking for a solution. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. We want a solution to take away the pain, the overwhelm, whatever. And so that's what I did. I had a solution one day to just come home and swallow my entire bottle of medication. And my mom uh, found me and rushed me to the hospital and saved my life. Wow. And I, I'm grateful she did that, but I was pissed off at her at the time because she was getting in the way of me trying to take care of business to take away my pain. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I could say I've learned some better ways of, or, or more, what is it? Uh, more adaptive ways yeah. Adaptive. Yeah, there it is. of dealing with my stuff. You yeah. know? Also, COVID unknowns. You know, we do not deal with unknowns well at all, period. 
end of story. We don't know what to do with a 10-year-old who punches his teacher. We don't know what to do with COVID that makes us close everything down or wear a mask wherever. We like knowns, even if they're bad. Like psychologically, we'll pick bad over not knowing every day of the week. So Mm. that is, and now here we are in, yes, COVID-2020, but now we're in COVID-2021 and we probably are going into COVID-2022. Oh, it's just, um, you know, a, a mess. But generational differences, tell us how you are experiencing delivering your story because I imagine that when you tell a group, and I and I understand that you work with mixed age groups of people, but if you're if you're talking to Microsoft versus an organization that maybe has a a, a different age group audience, like a boomer audience versus a millennial audience, how? And I'm a. Can we ask your generation now? I feel like. Oh, can we share your age? Can I ask your age? Can I ask your age? No, I tell everyone I'm 85, but nobody believes me when I say that. And and I'm 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 actually you look great. Thank you, thank you. Yes, (laughs) finally. Um, No, uh, I'm 42. I I, you can always ask me my age. I like I like sharing my age actually. Um, But you know, I speak to middle school students. Mm -hmm. I speak to the conservative South. Okay. I speak to the liberals. I speak, I speak to all groups and um, I love speaking to all groups because everyone's different. It's Me not too. even just generation. Yeah. It's like, you, know, you can have the same generation, but you know, in, in mindset, they're different in different parts of the country Absolutely. based on certain things. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I actually think, you know, the more not like me you are, the better we can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. So the thing that I think is really important, although there are differences, subtle differences in beliefs, in language, in how we go about talking things, cultural expectations and stuff, I mean, at the end of the day, we're still all human with thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, right? right. So like, at the end of the day, mental health is mental health. So the thing that I really try to do when I speak to an audience is learn their language. So mm. I'm not coming at them talking about you know, things the way I want to. For sure. example, I'm not going to say which state I was in recently, but I was in a certain state where, um, let's just say they don't do masks. And I was, I was, I was warned, don't bring up the M word. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I get this. I get this. I get this. I'm not, I'm not there to stir up trouble, but I still have to talk about some diversity stuff in conversations. Mm -hmm. So I was easily able to just talk about just people that see the world differently than you. They understood what that meant. And so that unified them. So I think had I gone in there and just started talking about mass versus no mass, I would have created a barrier. So I think it's important when you talk to any group is to understand their language and get out of your own language that you think is right in your head and talk in their language, or you're not going to be able to communicate with them. How would you say that you go about learning that language? Because I'm sure there's many people out there that are like trying to talk to my family, trying to talk to my coworkers, and there's a, there's a language barrier there. How do you start learning those languages? I, I think it's important to ask the right questions. So before I speak, mm-hmm. I generally ask certain questions to groups on like, well, what terminology do you use to describe this? You know, what things do you hate? What things frustrate you? Why? Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised you can learn so much about a person from yeah. that, you know? And and it's not about, again, it's not about right or wrong or correcting people. It's about just understanding, you know, um, asking people, how do you think you're perceived by me? 
Mm. You know, ask someone that question, you're going to get a real answer. Yeah. And you better be prepared to handle that answer. And, and the thing is, asking those questions is important. I take a lot of notes. And generally, I think through what I want to talk about, but phrasing it in a language that makes sense to them. And usually, usually it works. Or they, they can at least see I'm trying. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that is so beautiful in terms of... I, and you said this earlier, that you have identified your gift of being able to bring people in slowly, but securely. Because if you did go in with the M word or whatever, whatever it is, there's always something that we are opposite ends of the spectrum on. But wow, what a beautiful gift to be able to read the room. And that is a powerful gift that not a lot of people have. And I think the people who have it don't necessarily recognize it as their own gift that other people don't have. Does that make sense? Do you get that? That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> right. Very deep thing you just said. Yes. Thank you. I think that I think because it's taken me a long time and I'm older than you. I'm 54. So it's taken me a long time to realize that my process of reading a room is so different than a lot of people's process. And I can already tell by meeting you and talking to you. And when you say, how do you think you're perceived by me? Just giving people that, that opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I'm here. I'm open. I want to like, I'm starting this conversation and relationship out in a loving, just curious way. Curious. Let's learn about each other because we have different we have different life experiences. I mean, Seth is in the Midwest. He's in Indiana. You're in New York, and I'm in California. I can tell you, <laughs> and and we are literally all three about a decade apart, right? Yeah. So yeah. we're in our 30s, our 40s, and our 50s. So interestingly, and we're gender, we're different genders. We, you know, there are so many things that are different about us, and yet we're all here and there are way more things that we probably share that are the same. Mm. And that's the part that I think is is so healing, right? And, and so necessary right now as we have these difficult conversations that I would say generationally we were not willing to have. We were not willing mm. to look past the little boy who threw the desk. We weren't willing to look past, whoa, this kid's just messed up. And now, if you say that, I'm thinking something is wrong with you if that's your response. Like, I've flipped it completely. No, we need to know what's wrong with you, this situation, the environment, all the people in this little guy's life. What do we do? This is a group. This is a team effort. And it can come down to neurobiology fine still doesn't make anybody bad or a throwaway i will just say that because i'm sure you tried to complete suicide at 10 there was a part of you that felt and i could cry about this that you felt like a throwaway and that breaks my heart and because you and no other child should ever feel like that, a throwaway Well, th and thank you, thank you for saying that. And you know, you're you're right. I mean, I think I think the generations are different, but just 
how we how we interact with each other is a thing. And I wanted to bring up something you had brought up diversity and inclusion. And I wanted to say something about that because it's a beautiful topic that people are talking about and a very sensitive one. And years ago, I was asked a very uncomfortable question. I love Q&A, by the way. And like when they... Hmm. When they say, Mike, do you want the questions beforehand? I'm like, nope. No. I want to answer you like we're hanging out in the bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know it. I don't know it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I might regret what I say. So I'm literally in this presentation. Everything was going good up until this point, right? And then somebody gets up and he says, Mike, I have a question. It's like thousands of educators in the audience. So there's a little problem in my classroom. Half the class would have voted for Hillary and the other half would have voted for Trump and they're fighting. What do I do? And I'm just like, <laughs> like I, I, don't, I don't usually get taken aback. And I'm like, oh boy. I'm like, oh my gosh. But I'm like, thank you for asking this. And thank you for talking about it. And I said to him, I said, sir, I don't think the problem's politics. Mm-hmm. He's like, what do you mean? Well, it's Hillary and Trump. And it's not politics. So the problem is a show called Jerry Springer. Have you seen that show? And he goes, yeah. And if you haven't, those of you listening, Jerry Springer show, it was this talk show. People used to throw chairs. It was like WWE on steroids. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, what happened is people got addicted to this culture. And then reality shows came out. And the successful reality shows were those who were fighting in the house, right? If you're the troublemaker in the house, it's a good show. And um, fast forward to today in social media. Well, mm-hmm. if you don't like oranges... It's interesting. Screw you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah, I don't yeah. Apples. apples are the way. I don't know what's wrong with you. You've got a problem. <laughs> yeah. So I was really suggesting to him it wasn't politics for the problem. It was how we interact. I'm very fortunate in my company that I own that one of the reasons I hired the people that I did is because I have completely opposite sides of the political spectrum on the team. I get both extremes. Mm-hmm. Scariest day was before the election this past year. I had to call my therapist and I said, I'm a little worried. She's like, about who's going to win? I'm like, no, because I got a company meeting on Monday. Like, I don't know. <laughs> right? and, and, and the one thing that was really nice and I love about the company is I had called each person. didn't matter what they believed. And I said, look, your beliefs are welcome here. And Mm -hmm. don't ever hold them back. Don't ever feel like you need to walk on eggshells. Just be you. Mm -hmm. Be you. Mm -hmm. And we will listen. And it's been beautiful because we are the different sides of the country and we're just laughing all the time. There's no one Mm -hmm. never trying to tell anyone how to do something. Just listening. Lots of listening. Lots of taking notes too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of a quote, Irish philosopher, comedian, something like that. And he said, war is not conflict, but rather the inability to have conflict. I like that. That's good. Yeah. I like that. It's really, yeah. (laughs) And this is like exactly what you're saying. Like, don't, don't, um, don't hold back, hold back your beliefs as long as you're respecting the individual in front of you and not othering the other person. Sure. Believe what you want. But as long as, as long as there's respect and compassion and curiosity, associated with whatever conversation you're having, then then we can actually have a conversation and move forward and and actually do the common thing that we want, which is take care of our loved ones and take care of our earth. Like yeah. it's, there is at the very depths of the political spectrum, there's a very common thing of we just want to feel protected and safe and loved. Like yeah. in the end, 
<laughs> well, well, we just yeah, disagree on how we get it done. So and it's funny when I leave the country, like, like travel abroad, and there's Americans. Mm. You can tell where people are from in the country and stuff. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, another American!" <laughs> yeah, so you know, the, the problem is that. But the thing is, it's also I think you just said something about conversations. We don't have conversations anymore. People mm. just spit out things, and it's like um, I don't know. I, I like pigs, you know, and me seeing dog owners and saying, "What's wrong with you?" You know. Get a pig. Get a pig. Wise up. Like, it's not a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. You're just stating yeah. facts and opinions. Yeah. This yeah. isn't a conversation. That are sound yeah. bites. They don't even have the extension on either end, which makes it even more dangerous because they're just these very limited, you know, they're not even a sentence. They're just a sound bite. <laughs> it's like, so. It's like a meme. It's like a meme. <laughs> yeah. We live in, we live, and I think. Okay, so being the oldest one in the room, living in meme world is kind of millennially, right? But, mm. Seth, when I listen to you talk, and I think, um, Mike, I have to do the math to, you know, to label you and throw you into a bucket, but <laughs> if you're a millennial <laughs> or a Gen X, <laughs> sorry. But, um, but there are really powerful influences on entire people generational populations which is why we pick this for this season and then with with Seth and I being in different you know he's a millennial I'm Gen X but I'm on the older end of Gen X that we we can talk about things differently and sometimes I hear you say things Seth that I love because they're so they're so sensitive and so emotionally rich and a lot of millennials get heat for being, you know, la lazy. And people say negative meme-like things about millennials a lot. And I, my experience is that when I sit with millennials and talk to them as a person and learn about them and they share things and I get to know them, that I find them to be very deep thinkers and change makers. They just do it in a in a way that's different, and so it's not appreciated yet. We're getting to the point of, of appreciating it, and I hope to be part of that transition of power. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah. I do love that millennials are willing to have conversations and be very open and transparent in ways that older generations sometimes aren't comfortable starting. It's not that they're not comfortable having mm. the conversation. They just aren't really comfortable starting the conversation because the messaging was, oh, you shouldn't talk about that. That's private. Mm. That's private, That's you know. But millennials are like, oh, yeah, we can totally talk about that. And <laughs> I'm going to ask you right here, what the heck's going on with the, my class and Hillary and Trump? Like, they don't, yeah. I don't know if that was a millennial, but yeah. <laughs> but especially about emotions, Mm. Millennials are very, yeah. very comfortable or they're comfortable, but they also question it because I don't think they have a model set in front of them, mm. which excites me about the generation after them, Homelanders or even the next generation, the alpha generation, because I do think that as parents, millennials are going to feed the conversation into raising their children and that's going to be beautiful. Uh, that's just, mm. you know, going to be a, a, a I, I may or may not be here to see it, but 
I know that it's coming without question. So mm. the, this meme yeah. thing is, is, is millennial, but we've always done it. We've always just taken a little piece to conf- – it's confirmation bias, right? It's us taking a piece of information that we only we only take in the parts that we want to believe or that that support our beliefs. And we ignore all the parts that don't support our beliefs. And then we just have this really strong argument with basically memes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, memes, memes have been here before memes. Yeah. You know, um, like, like, what does it say? People tell me, like, this fake news is the problem. And I'm like, you know about the National Enquirer? That was around before the internet. And they, they had, like, this, right. this 700-pound baby and stuff, yeah. you know, every week. But, like... You know, it, it's been there, and you're right. That's how sometimes we. It, it's the shock value, yeah. um, you know, and, and it does something for us. But I, I want to share something. I tried. I tried a little experiment this year. That was a little weird. I, you know, people say to me from all generations, mm-hmm. the problem is social media and the news. That's the one thing I hear, and and and, and I, I usually have a counter response to that. Mm. I say you're lying. You're not telling the truth. They say, why? I said, (laughs) nobody forces you to pick up your phone. Like, if I get off this this episode and I go like this, the media didn't get me. Like, I picked up the Mm -hmm. phone. And and the thing is with social media, they got the unfollow and unfriend link. You can you know you can use that. All the sites have them. So the thing that I tried to do is um I purchased a paper subscription to the news that I like. Paper comes in the mail. Mail. <laughs> yeah, What's that? The, the, the actual. Oh. <laughs> you go outside okay. open box and huh. there's, there's nothing to click on. And it's so interesting how <laughs> reading actual paper, it's so weird that we're like talking about this. I still, <laughs> whenever I'm reading a book, I do catch my brain like actually wanting to like tap on a word to get the definition. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 No, to your point, I mean, it's. There's a lot of not wanting to take ownership over our own agency. Yes. And trying to find someone else to put the responsibility on. And it's, especially in US culture, there's an individualistic mentality, but we quickly realize that individualism requires a higher level of response, personal responsibility. And yeah. and as soon as we realize that, then it's then it's a game of like, get it away from me. Um, and this is this is the problem with my generation honestly yeah um it's the hyper right it's it's all their fault or it's these people over here or this organization or this it's like y'all just (laughs) settle down Ah, settle down (laughs) settle down (laughs) settle down down. yeah but i love that that's another point that's so critical here is that Innovation is a thing. We are going yeah, to innovate. That's what makes the world amazing is that people, I mean, I'm just always blown away. I watch it like, I look at a copy machine in Office Max and I think somebody built that. Like I, <laughs> I'm always just amazed at things that I look at in my environment and think, who, who made this microphone? Like I don't even have a clue how this works. So people were innovating all the time. And it's like being a little, a five-year-old trying to write their name. And it's big. And some of the letters are backwards. And it's all, you know, it takes up the whole eight by 11 sheet of paper because 
they're new at it. And then as they get older, it gets smaller and more fine-tuned, and then we have a handle on it. And they never write their name like they did it in kindergarten again. Innovation is like that. Social media, wow, apps, wow, doing all this stuff. We've, we've got access to, you know, we are just, we're like kindergartners in social media. But guess what? Then we're going to start to fine-tune it, clean house, make make rules around it that are actually healthy rules that everybody agrees with and start to manage our our engagement with our new technology and our new innovations in ways that make sense. We don't need to get rid of the innovation. We need to learn ways to manage it. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly like learning to write your name. It's no different. It just feels different because it's grown-ups actually having to acknowledge and recognize like, oh my gosh, I'm a kindergartner when it comes to this new technology mm-hmm. or new innovation. Mm-hmm. That's how I view that's yeah. how I view it is that it we're very rough around the edges with certain innovations. And then other ones we've really cleaned and we've 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 smoothed the edges out and we're pretty good at them. Last question, Mike. I get a sense from you that one, you're not you're not uh, afraid to have tough conversations, ask tough questions. And yet there is some level of ease of, of disarming people and inviting them into the conversation without them feeling threatened. How have you developed the skill like that? Or is it just kind of <laughs> five with the seat of your pants? <laughs> thank you for such a nice compliment. I mean, I don't even know what to say to that, Seth. Um, mm. Thank you for that, though. Yeah. Here's here's what I think it is. And again, this is the defiant child talking, by the way, the one that punched the teacher. Just want to say that. Mm-hmm. I don't do that anymore, just for the record. Yes. I, I behave now. <laughs> but I'm defiant in that I don't welcome uncomfortable conversations. I chase them. Mm-hmm. That's the difference. I think it's it's not like, you know, I, I don't I don't I'm not open to it. I, I mm-hmm. have them. You know, like it's okay. like I, I talk about the elephant in the room. When you talk about the elephant in the room, take it out of the room. Mm-hmm. It, I, I had to do a presentation as a black man to law enforcement, mm-hmm. um, a Oof. state, a state police association in the Midwest. This is around, well, one of those seasons of lots of news videos of black people getting shot. Mm. <laughs> They're mostly white men in the crowd. And it's mm-hmm. the first time I did a presentation. Everyone had a firearm. It was like, Ooh, it's like, like, am I safe or scared? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah. you know, but, but the thing that I did right away, I just kind of opened it up with talking about the elephant in the room. Let's just get mm-hmm. this over with right now. And I think that eased tension, you know? And so I, I think it's all in the intention of how you go about it. If you're having a conversation because you think you're right and someone else is wrong and you need to correct them, that's the problem right there. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is everyone wants to correct everyone. Oh, you know, you, you voted for so-and-so. Well, <laughs> you know, let me it, tell you, <laughs> it, it's not, again, it's not a conversation. It's just, it's like a, mm-hmm. a meme thing going on. So my, my whole thing is when I have a conversation, I will ask you a question never to change your mind. So I've been asking friends recently about the vaccination. Mm-hmm. Most of my friends got vaccinated. Some of them didn't. And I've been asking, you didn't get vaccinated. I'm not going to change your mind. I'm not here to do that. I just want to understand what went into your decision just so I can understand your perspective. And it's been fascinating 
what I've been learning, mm. you know? Yeah. And they say, well, 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 what do you think of that, Mike? Should, should I get vaccinated? I said, I don't know, because your answer is very valid. I don't want to tell you otherwise, because you get to step into someone else's perspective. So I challenge people, you know, that are listening. It's a beautiful opportunity to just look at the world through someone else's eyes, not to change them, but to understand them. And don't be afraid that you're going to lose a part of yourself Ooh. if you do. That's the that's the problem. People think they're going to lose a part of themselves, mm-hmm. and 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 the reality is, no. If you really believe what you believe, it's fine. There's one book, and I forgot the title. I usually go with titles, but this um, one doctor psychologist was talking about people who've got like real extreme beliefs that are really heavy. That usually the reason for like a belief that they have to keep telling everyone is because they don't really believe it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's a thing. <laughs> that is a oh, thing. Absolutely. <laughs> You know that that is a thing, you know, or you know, the, the, the 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 people that are preaching against homosexuality, and then you find yep. a little story about something's happening. Yeah. And so, you, you know, I think it's important though just to think about how we show up for conversations. And if you ever want to have a conversation with me, I'll I'll listen to you. You know, yeah. I just I just want yeah. to understand. That's all. Yeah. Wow. Mike, thank you so much. This was a really fun conversation. Yeah, yeah. it's been <laughs> so fun. It's been great. Yeah. So for those people out there that want you to show up for them in their uh, their business, their whatever, how do you how do they find you or their bar? Uh, how do they mail <laughs> mail mail things to you? How do they mail things to you? <laughs> <Thanks> to <me>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, to get me to the bar, I don't know. Just send me an email. Okay, um, great. Uh, my my name is Mike Vini, and the last name is spelled V like in Victor. E is in Edward, N is in Nancy, Y is in Yellow. I am on the interweb. You can find my website. I'm on the Facebook, on the Twitter, on the LinkedIn. You know, shoot me a message and let me know if I can ever be of help to you. And um, my my big thing is because of all that I've been through, I like helping people. So if I could just answer a question for you, mm. uh, and if I can't, I'll let you know. Uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I love it too. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. All content on Delusional Optimism is for informational and educational purposes only and does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship. A patient-client relationship is only formed through a written contractual agreement. If you need medical or mental health care advice, you should consult your doctor or therapist or go to your nearest hospital.